0: Good to be with you again for the seventh in our series of Daily Devotionals in the Psalms as today we reflect on Psalm 14. At the beginning of our series in the Psalms, we identified two key themes that run like golden threads through the entire collection of Psalms, often emerging at significant points. Uh, Those themes are God's King and God's Wisdom. And while Psalm 14 doesn't seem to stand at any of the significant points or divisions or collections within the psalms, it certainly is significant as a wisdom psalm. And significant also in that it's repeated as Psalm 53 verses 1 to 6, pretty much the same words, just a few variations. So we conclude its message must be of considerable importance. As with almost all of the psalms in Book 1, this is another psalm of David addressed to the director of music, obviously for use in regular worship at the temple. And so the psalm begins with the introduction of an important character who actually appears throughout the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Psalm 14 verse 1, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. All these evildoers know nothing. The character at the centre of this psalm is the fool. The Hebrew word Nabal, uh, rendered fool in the psalms, indicates a person who is morally deficient rather than being a person of low intelligence. Uh, the word Nabal, uh, you might remember, that's the name of Abigail's husband in the David narrative, 1 Samuel chapter 25. He's, he's the foolish man who lives up to his name. Uh, that word Nabal particularly implies an aggressive kind of perversity. Elsewhere in the wisdom literature, fools are typically mockers of the righteous. They have no understanding of God. They lack wisdom. They're complacent. They speak nonsense and have no interest in growth and in change. Uh, Very famously, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 declares, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So fundamentally, the fool refuses to believe God or to even believe that God exists. They're corrupted with evil from the inside out. And so we might wonder, well, who is the fool? In verse 2, the Lord is searching and seeking for any among humanity who do not share the fundamental orientation of the fool. Are there any people who seek after God? Another way to see that question is, Are there any who are not fools? And to our surprise, verse 3 concludes that no, there are none. All humanity has been corrupted by sin. There is not even one who does good. And it's a pretty bleak assessment of the human race and therefore a pretty bleak assessment of me and you. In fact, when Paul is writing to the Romans, he quotes verse 3 as the culmination of his argument that all people... Whether Jews or Gentiles, whether religious or non-religious, all people are under the power of sin and to be held accountable to God. That's a pretty dark conclusion. So is there any hope at all for us? Let's read on in Psalm 14. They, the fools, devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. Well, there's a clue, actually. The fool is the one who never calls on the Lord. Presumably, for anyone who does turn and call on the Lord, then there is a way out of the darkness. Uh, Reading on in verse 5, But there they are, that is the fools, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. So it turns out that not all are fools, or perhaps more accurately, not all have remained as fools. There most certainly is a way out because God is present in the company of the righteous. There are some who are indeed righteous in right standing of right character and disposition in relation to God who dwells among them, much to the shock of the fools. Yes, the fool is the one who imagined that there was no God, but their God is in company with the righteous. Notice also that the poor have made God their refuge. Most certainly there is a God and he dwells with those that call upon him. And it is this call that resolves the psalm in verse 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Zion is God's holy dwelling. For salvation to come from Zion, it must actually come from God. He takes the initiative. He's the one who makes it possible for the fool to be made completely new, to be put back the right way around. God's salvation is for the restoration of his people remade out of their foolishness, reoriented to God. As Paul reflects on this great salvation that came out of Zion and having concluded that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight on the basis of their behaviour, he declares in Romans 3.21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. What hope is there for the fool whose inward disposition is always and only anti-God? Their hope is that God himself will act, that he would bring salvation out of Zion, that the Lord will restore his people, as it says at the end of Psalm 14. When the righteousness of God is displayed in his saving acts, when his people are justified freely by his grace in Christ Jesus, there will indeed be rejoicing and gladness, as it says at the end of Psalm 14. And so at the end of a very bleak sounding psalm, we see that there is only God's grace. It is like a diamond displayed on a black velvet pillow. The the diamond is seen best. It is most glorious when its light is contrasted with the darkness, with the black. For the most part of Psalm 14, we see the foolish arrogance of sin, but its diamond cry for salvation from Zion has surely been answered in Jesus. To find ourselves cast utterly on God's grace, to a fool whose deeds are corrupt, it's a bit hard to take, isn't it? As Christians, we kind of recoil and instinctively reject the description of total moral depravity that both Psalm 14 and the early chapters of Romans pin on us. Surely we're not that bad. We're not the fool, are we? We want to claim some kind of basic goodness, some intrinsic moral high ground, but we cannot. Importantly, however, we are intrinsically valuable in God's eyes. We have value, the worth grounded in our creation in the image of God, even though in our natural selves we have no inward orientation toward God. Instead, we are entirely reliant on God's grace, on his initiative and his action in saving us. And we depend upon his transforming Holy Spirit whereby we are changed we are renewed and oriented again towards God by his work alone it's all of grace so this grace is deeply humbling and absolutely comforting we know that God has acted for our salvation especially because we've all sinned and fallen short and now we are declared righteous freely by his grace we are humbled as fools and yet made absolutely secure in Christ because salvation does not depend on us, on our performance or on our effort. For your response of prayer right now, can you give God thanks for his grace given us in Christ Jesus?